you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the second chapter of the book of Philippians? As we continue in a sermon series that we started some weeks ago entitled, Joy in the Journey. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. It's an epistle, an epistle is a letter. He's writing this letter, obviously, to the church at Philippi, which is a new church. He's writing this letter to the saints at Philippi, who make up the church at Philippi, who are new believers. And as we move into chapter 2, this great man of God, Paul the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, is concerned about the church and the saints. Should he not come out of prison? Should he die in prison? How will the church fare? Will the church continue to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Or will the church stop? Will the church wander away? Will the church fall back? Or will the church just disappear? He's a little concerned. And so he writes, beginning in verse 12, a challenge to the church and to the saints. A challenge that would apply for us as well. But notice verse 12, because... He says, Wherefore, my beloved, you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now how much more in my absence. You've always tried to be like Jesus. You've always tried to follow Jesus. You did when I was there. And now that I'm not with you and I'm in prison... I hear that you are continuing to follow Jesus. But will you continue if I'm no longer anymore in this world? That's a good question for Miles Road, isn't it? Will we follow Jesus five years from now? Will we follow Jesus ten years from now? Or we would just disappear. You do understand that one day I'm not going to be your pastor. One day this pulpit will be vacated by Jim Palmer and there'll be another man standing here. There is coming a time when I no longer will be your pastor. Your staff will no longer be your staff. There's coming a day when your heroes are going to die. Your mentors and your teachers are no longer going to be here. Your mom and dad and your beloved grandparents will bid you farewell. There's coming a time when your family and friends who walk with the Lord will no longer walk with the Lord because they won't be here to walk with the Lord. They will have said goodbye. One day, you and me are going to be alone. The 
things that we used to depend upon to motivate us to be like Jesus. The things that we used to depend upon to prompt us to walk with Jesus. The people that we used to depend upon to pray for us, to tell us the truth, to keep us on the straight and narrow. The people that we used to depend upon to call us and remind us to go to church and do the right thing. Listen to me. One day they will not be here. How will you fare when that day comes? How will this church fare when that day comes? Will we stay the course or drop out? Will we carry on or be carried off? I don't know. But that was Paul's concern for the church at Philippi and for the saints. And so he gives them some instructions in the verses that are going to follow, verses 13 through 18. He talks to them about what he would like them to try to do. That if he should die in prison, that they will not go away, but they'll only get stronger in the faith that God has given them. Notice, first of all, in verse 12, he says to the church and to the saints, work out your salvation. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, may you continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now let me make a very clear statement. He's not talking about getting saved here. The scriptures are very clear. Salvation is by God's grace through faith in a risen Christ. Let me say that again. Salvation, if you have a biblical salvation, it's by God's grace through your faith in a risen Christ. You cannot find this salvation. You cannot add to this salvation. You cannot make better this salvation. You cannot complete this salvation with anything that you might do. God gives it. God keeps it. God finishes it. It's full. It's free. It's final. And it's forever. So what is he talking about then? When he tells the church at Philippi and those who claim the name of Jesus to work out their salvation. Well, it's interesting what the term work out really means. The, the, the phrase work out comes from a Greek phrase that, that's a mining word. A mining word. It means to go into a shaft. Deep, dark shaft. Carrying your pick with you. And when you get to the bottom of the shaft, using your pick, using your shovel, using whatever tools you might have, you dig out the precious gems, the precious stones, and you bring them to the top. 
That's what the word work out means. To go into a shaft, to go into the bottom of that deep, dark shaft, and with a pick in your hand, you dig out the gold, you dig out the silver, you dig out the precious stones, and you bring them from the depths up to the surface. You take these things that were not being used and you bring them up to use them. When we got saved, the Spirit of the living God deposited into our lives some precious stones, some gold, some silver, that God wants us to dig out It's inside of us. He wants us to dig these things out and start to use them for his glory and for the good of others. They're not doing any good just staying in the shaft. He wants us to take our picks and go down in there and dig these things out, these virtues and these truths out, that then we can bring them up to the surface and use them, again, to glorify our God and to do good to others. What are some of those virtues that are buried in us? Peace and joy and hope and love and goodness and patience and faith and meekness. Those things are buried in us. we got to get them out. There's truth that's buried in us that we got to go to the scriptures and learn more about, that we can have an understanding of and be able to share them. There's truths that are deposited in us about God. There's truths in us deposited about the Son, about the Spirit, about the Holy Trinity. There's truth deposited in us about salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. There's truths deposited in us about about the, the things to come, the rapture, the coming of the Antichrist, the tribulation. The Bible is filled with truths, and these the Bible helps us to dig these truths out that are in us, as well as the virtues out that are in us. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, says to the saints, you've got to dig. God wants you to be more than you are. He wants you to do more than you're doing, but you're going to have to put some perspiration and start digging these things that are in you, out of you, that you can use them. You say, Pastor, is it important that I do that? It is. Because notice he says, I want you to work out this salvation. I want you to dig up these truths and these virtues that are deposited in you. I want you to bring them out. And I want you to do it with fear and trembling. That phrase, fear and trembling, is talking about a reverence and a respect for God that is so awesome that you want to do what he tells you to do. It's all about growing up in Christ, is what all it's about, ladies and gentlemen. Taking the things that God has put into you and taking them out of you and using them Not only that you can grow, but others can be done good and the Lord will be glorified. You say, well, what's the problem? (laughs) Well, the problem is 
even though we know what we're supposed to do, we don't do it. Not only do we not seek God to be saved, we don't seek God to work out our salvation. That's why God had to do something when he saved us. When he saved us, he gave us his son. He gave us the second member of the Holy Trinity. He hung his son on a cross, an altar, if you will. He suspended his son between heaven and earth. And there on that cross, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, shed his blood and died for our sin, that we could be saved. But that wasn't enough. That was the justifying part of it. But salvation has a second part. It's called sanctification. It's digging out these truths and virtues that have been put into us and using them. And just as we didn't come to God for salvation, He came to us. He comes to us to help us work out this salvation. And He gave us the third member of the Holy Trinity the Holy Spirit, at the moment he saved us to become the will and the do of this pleasure. You say, Pastor, that sounds pretty good. Did you come up with that? Oh, no. (laughs) Look at verse 13. Look at it. You want to know how the context is? This is context. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, how can I do it? I don't really have any desire to do it. You're right, you don't. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Who motivates us? Who moves us? Who prompts us? Who pushes us? Who compels us? Who's the one that's the driving force behind us growing up in the Lord? The Holy Spirit. Without the presence and the power of God's Spirit, we have no motivation, we have no energy, we have no strength. That's why the Spirit of God was given to us, that the work of God will continue in us after it begins. I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Glove. I don't know if you've ever met Mr. Glove. He's a good friend of mine, and he, and he really has a lot of dreams and a lot of desires. You know, Mr. Glove has a desire to fly. This glove really wants to fly, you know, right across the sky. But he can't fly. He wants to fly, but he can't. He also has a desire to walk on this platform. But he can't walk on this platform. He also has a desire, Mr. Glove, dear friend of mine, by the way. He has a desire to wave and to squeeze. But he can't. He also has a desire to punch somebody in the nose. But he can't. He, are you listening to your pastor? He really wants to do that. 
but there's nothing in him to do that. So I've decided to help my friend Mr. Glove out. Now Mr. Glove can do what? Now Mr. Glove can do what? Now Mr. Glove can... Now Mr. Glove can punch somebody in the... (laughs) What's the difference in Mr. Glove before and after? The fact that something alive moved into him. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit of God moved inside of us. The Holy Spirit of God gives us the passion, the motivation, the desire, the strength, the might, the power, the energy to do what we want to do, but we can't do it. God not only says that this is what I want you to do, I'm going to give you my spirit that you can do it. Wow. Then he goes on, he's talking to the church at Philippi, he's talking to the saints. And he says, listen, I want you to work out your salvation. Even if I'm not here no more, it's important that you keep carrying on. Work out your salvation, dig up the truth, dig up the virtues, employ them. And then he says something else, he says you need to work on your speech. Now remember, this is God's man writing to his church. He's concerned that the church may falter and fall and fall away. And he's saying, please don't do that. Carry on. Work out your salvation. But then he also says, work on your speech. You say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm working on my working out my salvation? Because it'll show in the working on of your speech. Notice what he says. He 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 says in verse 14, do all things without murmuring and disputings. One of the signs that we are growing in the Lord, that we're carrying on, we're continuing, one of the signs that we are down in the shaft digging up virtues and digging up truth, that we can be a better person for Jesus and then become a better witness and a testifier of Him. One one of the great evidences, ladies and gentlemen, is what comes out of our mouth. What comes up in the buckets? What's in the well? If you got bitter water coming up in the bucket, there's bitter water in the well. What comes out of our mouth is really what's already in our mind and heart. So what a man says is a great indicator of where he's at spiritually and this working out of his salvation. Let me ask you a question. Do you murmur? He specifically used that word. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I do or not. I don't know what it means. Well, let me tell you what it means. This is what the word murmur means. It means to speak volatile words, inflammatory words, words that are like throwing gasoline on a fire, that kind of words, for the purpose 
of creating discord and division in the house of God. Saying things out of your mouth that are like throwing gasoline on a fire. They're inflammatory, they're volatile, they're explosive. And you have a motive in doing it. It's to bring discord and division into the house of God. And remember, he's speaking to Christians here, or those who claim the name of Jesus. Are you guilty of that? Am I guilty of that? And then he says, do not be involved in disputings. Can I ask you a question? Do you dispute? You say, I don't know. What is it, Pastor? (laughs) Well, the word disputing means to speak argumentatively to someone for the purpose of showing your superiority and their inferiority. The purpose is, I'm going to say something to you, I'm going to talk with you, not because I care about you or want to tell you something new, I want to show you how smart I am and how dumb you are. Disputings are all based on pride. You see, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. What comes out of your mouth says more about your walk with the Lord Jesus than anything else. It's a sad day and it's a sad commentary in many churches when those who claim the name of Jesus regularly use profanity and vulgarity. They're they're behind arguings and disputings. They're responsible for gossip and slander. They're behind slurs and murmurings, hate speech and abusive verbiage. They're the ones who do the criticizing, the complaining, the whining, the woeing. Paul says such things should never come out of the mouth of man or woman of God. Should never happen. If you are working out your salvation as you're supposed to be, what comes out of your mouth ought to be pure and positive and praiseful and wholesome. You allow that kind of stuff to come out of your mouth You're not following Jesus. You're walking with the devil. Heard the story about a man who came home from work one day. And he was very cheerful and happy. He had a great day at work. And so he he walks in the door and says, Honey, I'm home. And his wife was standing there waiting on him. And she had fire in her eyes. And she had a toxic tongue. And she started letting him have it. Up and down, down and up, left to right, right to left, inside out, outside in. She unloaded on him. She called him every name in the book. Accused him of everything you can accuse somebody of. Smashed him, bashed him. Did it for 60 minutes. He couldn't even get a word out of his mouth, ladies and gentlemen. Finally, he said, I don't know what I've done, but we need to start over. We need to start over. I I can't put up with this. So he goes outside and closes the door. He's thinking to himself, I'm going to come back in this time. I don't know what I did wrong the first time. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm coming back in the second time. 
So he opens up the door again. There he's met by his wife. And she says, what are you an hour late for? And she unloads him again. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just can't win. But we need to be careful what comes out of our mouth. Because it's an indicator of what's coming out of our heart. And Jesus said, the heart, in the heart are the issues of life. Get it down plain, get it down straight, and get it down once and for all. God hates a toxic tongue and a negative mouth. How much does he hate it? In Numbers chapter 16, God put to death 14,000 of his own people, including the leader, Korin, who were murmuring against Moses and the work of God that Moses was taking on. Be very careful what you say, what comes out of your mouth, because it's an indicator of your spirituality, or may I say, your lack of it. Verse 15, Paul says, first of all, to the young church, to the young believers, I may not be with you forever. I may not even get out of prison. I may have my head taken off my shoulders. I don't believe it's going to happen now, but if it does, I want to hear from heaven that you're still carrying on, that you're still following Jesus, that you're still doing a great work for God in Philippi and all around the world. In order for that to take place, you've got to work out your own salvation. You've got to dig out the precious truths and virtues that have been put in your life. And you've got to do it through the power of the Spirit of God that God has given you to do such things for. And then you need to work on your speech. Learn how to talk to God. Learn how to talk to your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Learn how to talk to lost people in such a way that your speech is positive, not negative, is beneficial, not detrimental. It's a sign of your holiness, not a sign of your wickedness. And then he says, work at your shining. Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation or world, among whom you shall shine as lights in the world. When Paul was writing this, his world, his world, was dark and crooked and wicked. And it was becoming increasingly so with each passing day. What would Paul say about our world that we're living in right now? He'd probably say it's dark, it's crooked, and it's wicked too, and getting worse. All around us we see decay and destruction and death. Our world is a black canopy. Imagine this is a picture I'm holding in front of you of our world, and what you see is nothing but pitch black darkness. That's our world. Because our world right now is in control of the one who is dark, Satan. And as we look at this dark world, there is no safe place. There is no safe place. Twenty years ago, there might have been a safe place. Forty years ago, there might have been a safe place. But in 2018, America 
2018, this world, there's no safe place. You say, I'm safe in my home. No, you're not. You may think you are behind that 38 or 9 millimeter, but somebody can still break in your home and take you out if they want to. You may say, well, I'm safe in school. Are you? I'm safe at work. Are you? I'm safe at the restaurant. Are you? I'm safe at the ball field. Are you? Yes, sir. I'm safe in church. Are you? The old lost in space. Danger, 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 Will Robinson. Well, that's the song of today. Danger, danger, danger. Wherever we go, our world is dark and crooked and wicked. And yet Paul says to the church at Philippi and to Miles Road, he says, on this black canopy picture, where there's absolutely nothing but pitch black darkness, I have called you to be stars. And I've thrown you onto the black canopy that you might shine. Your light might not always be bright. It might flicker a little bit from time to time, but that's okay. I've called you to be stars on the black canopy of a world that's dark and crooked and wicked and becoming increasingly more so. I'm calling you to be the lighthouse that stands tall and stands high and shines bright in the seas of darkness. That's what he's calling us to be. According to Colossians, we have been saved out of darkness to become light. According to 1 John, we walk in that light. According to Matthew chapter 5, we possess that light, and that light is to shine out of us into this darkness. We're to shine our light. You say, Pastor, what does that mean, though? In practical application, what does it mean to shine our light? Well, it means, I think, three things. It means holiness, love, and truth. That's what we're to shine. Whether we're stars on the black sky or a lighthouse on the dark, raging sea. When we live holy lives, ladies and gentlemen, we're saying to a dark world, we're different. We're not like you, we're different. We don't put you down, you are what you are. But because of what we have experienced, we have passed from darkness unto light, from death unto life. We've went from hell to heaven. Our lives are holy because our lives are different. And that light ought to be shining. Does your light shine like that? Do people see something different about you and me that causes them to think about the darkness they're in? the wickedness therein. I also think that light has something to do with love. A light that shines love on the canopy of darkness, on the seas of darkness. 
love. I think I said last week there's a difference in love and lust. Love says, I, I care for you, though you can do nothing for me. I just care for you. Lust says, I will care for you as long as I get something out of you. And as soon as I squeeze you dry, I'm tossing you away and getting me somebody else. Young people don't understand that difference because you deal with it far more than we do. Oh, I love you. What does I love you mean? I want to have sex with you. And as soon as I get all I can get out of you, then I'll find me another girl to get it from. That's the reality. But it also is the same out here. Some of us older folks fall for the same thing our younger folks fall for. We need to shine the light of holiness. We need to shine the light of love. We care about you. We're different holiness. We care love. And then we need to shine the light of truth to go with it. Truth. What is truth? It's God's Word. God's Word simply stated, plainly stated, stated from a life that's holy, stated from words that are filled with love. And ladies and gentlemen, when that light shines, that kind of light, a three-tier light of holiness and love and truth, I'm telling you, this dark world is going to notice there's something up there. There's something out there. And God will use that to reach them. Many of you might have watched the sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. Y'all have seen that before? Most of you are familiar with it. It's an old sitcom, but they keep recycling it continually back and forth. And in that sitcom, there's a lady who plays Raymond's wife. Her name is Deborah in the, in the television show, but it's also Deborah off the show. She's Deborah Heaton. Now, you may not know this about her, but she is a born-again Christian. She doesn't have a philosophy. She doesn't have a religion. She is a born-again Christian. She has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And she is pro-life. Pro-life. Now, she works in Hollywood. <laughs> you talk about darkness. I mean, it, it's, it's lost. There's lostness all around her. She's surrounded by pro-choicers everywhere. And she was doing an interview and she was asked, how do you function in that environment? You're a born-again Christian in the midst of this lostness. You're, you're pro-life in the midst of a pro-choice crowd that's radical even to partial birth abortion. How do, how do you function? How do you even make it? I want you to listen to what she said because I think it's a message for us. She says, I make it by being a solid actress and a good friend. Because I'm liked as a person and respected as a person, my faith and my views are respected even by those who disagree with me. I go to work and I do my job exceptionally well. I show up on time. I know my lines. I know my cues. I'm an exceptional actress. I'm solid. I do a good job when I'm asked to work. Thank you, Mr. 
That's what I do. And I'm a good friend to everybody. Even though I don't agree with the producers and the directors, I'm their friend. I don't bash them and smash them verbally or any other way. I'm a good friend to the cast. Even though they do things that I don't do, believe things that I don't believe, I can be their friend. I don't have to give them approval. I'm not saying I condone what you believe and do. I'm their friend. And because, listen to me, pay attention, because I'm a solid actress and I'm their friend, they allow me because they see something different about me. They see the love that's in me. They allow me to speak truth to them. They may not respond to it. They may not receive it. But they give me the respect to be able to speak truth. And I do. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're to be. Lights on the black canopy that live holy lives that are so different, that live loving lives that say we care, that people give us the courtesy and the respect to tell them what we believe and why we believe it, that we can put some light into this darkness that we call this world. The problem sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, is we don't live holy lives to have that respect. When you belly up to the bar and you drink some Johnny Walker Red, how does that say to those who are in darkness that are also drunkards, what does that say to them? When you take a toke on that weed, what does that say to people around you about your faith? When you're sleeping around and having sex with every Tom, Dick, and Harry or Carol, Jane, or Sally, what does that say? I know some churches say it's all about grace. Listen, grace without responsibility and accountability is tomfoolery. We will live holy lives and love people, even though we may not agree with the witches and the warlocks and the homosexuals and the abortionists, and the transgenders. We don't have to agree with them to be friends with them. And through that holy life that's different, through our love that says we care, we get opportunities to share truth. And when that truth is shared, the lights go on. God help us. God help us. Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.